Come on, man. I want to welcome everyone at our Lancaster campus. If you're watching this online, man, we are in the middle of a series called Mixtape. It's what all the music's for. It's, it's kind of an old school thing where if you love somebody, you'd kind of record stuff from a radio and make them a special mixtape and give it to them to show them how much you love them. And so with that, we're just talking about love. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about marriage. If you were here the last couple weeks, we kind of took a focus of those of you, if you're single, you know, we wanted to talk about what does it mean to be single? What's that look like? How do we do it well? How do we date? And so if you missed that and you're single, I'd watch the last two weeks online. But today we're kind of turning a corner and we're going to begin to just kind of focus on marriage for the last couple weeks, if that's okay. And here's the thing about marriage. That's why I feel marriage is one of the most exciting relationships you can ever experience. Amen. See, if you're married, you need to say amen. If you're sitting next to your spouse, you really need to say amen when I say that. I'm going to help you out, all right? But listen, this is what all the married people will tell you. It's also one of the most challenging relationships you'll ever have. Amen? You still got to say it, right? It, it's not easy being married. And yet it's incredible. And I'm telling you, it's worth it. But here's what I've discovered when it comes to marriage. We go into marriage full of expectation. This is what you get when you're dating and you're going to the wedding chapel. You've got so much expectation, a vision in your mind of how the wedding's going to go and how the honeymoon's going to go and how the marriage is going to go and how one day you're going to have 2.5 kids and you're going to have a dog and maybe a cat, maybe not a cat, but you're going to have a dog at least and you're going to have this house and you're going to, it's going to be sitting on a piece of property somewhere out a little bit. I mean, this is like what we picture in our heads. We think marriage is bliss. We think it's royal wedding. It's like two people in a carriage going through town and everybody's waving and throwing roses. It's not really like that, though. How many of you know the truth? Like there's, there's what we want it to be, and then there's a reality of what it tends to be. And a lot of times when they don't line up, what we go into with such expectation full of hope sometimes tends to leave us full of disappointment. Maybe some of you came to church today and that's where you are in a marriage, full of disappointment. In fact, you know what's kind of discouraging, and I don't mean to kind of bring the room down, but it's kind of discouraging when you look at the numbers, the stats, the math of marriage. Like in our country today, it's not great. Like marriage is, you know, like it's supposed to be for life. That's what we say, you know, it's for richer people for poor and sickness and in health, right? Until death do us part. It's something that's intended to be for life. And yet so often the numbers tell us that it's not. I came across this statistic recently and it kind of blew my mind away. And that was this, that in America, every 36 seconds, there's a divorce. In other words, that's the equivalent number of divorces happening in our country. Every 36 seconds is another divorce. That's crazy to me. In fact, maybe you've heard this, this quote before, the statistic that's thrown out all the time. It says, you know, about half of all marriages don't seem to make it. When you hear that, like, that's discouraging, right? You, some of you might be trying to stay together just to beat the odds when it comes to this. I, I looked up these statistics because I was curious. I was like, is that really true? And I found one that was done on a date, uh, study over the last five years or even going back. And they said... Uh, Numbers-wise, marriages that get filed, divorces, and, and this looked at first marriages. They said it tends to be around 41 or 42% of marriages that end in divorce. Like, that's high. And by the way, that does not take into consideration ones that aren't filed or just separations. 
That's why some people say close to half. Now, you would think that in that regard, so many people going through a failed marriage might kind of like, be, maybe you say, I was, we were young and, you know, we messed up, did this, and now I know I learned. I got it better now. Sadly, I want to tell you this. The studies also show that about 63% of second marriages end in divorce. And oh, by the way, if you think, well, maybe the third time's a charm. Guess what? I saw 70% of third marriages fail. That blew me away because literally, don't you think like, come on, shouldn't we be getting better at this? But yet it doesn't seem that it's working. And I would just argue and say when it comes to marriage in our country today, what we are doing for marriage isn't adding up. The number, it's just not adding up. Whatever we're doing, our approach, the demands of career and the rigors of raising children and the pressing on the economy, and it's no wonder that we see so many marriages kind of failing. Listen, here's what I want to say. When I look at what we're doing, I just want us to recognize, I don't think it's working that well. And here's maybe why. This is my thought. I think I wonder maybe if it's because man's equation for marriage just is not lining up with God's equation for marriage. That's just my perspective, that what we're doing, the math, the numbers, the equation, how we're approaching marriage doesn't seem to be adding up. Here's man's equation for marriage. Can I give you man's equation? I think it's real simple, right? One plus one equals two. It's simple math. We all know it. You learned it in grade school. One plus one equals two, right? In other words, you're an individual. You're trying to find another individual. Together, you'll be a couple. We, we, we say this all the time. I'm finding the one someone to complete me, right? It's like one plus one. This is our approach equals two, right? Just the two of us. Come on, you know that? We can make it if we try. Just the two of us, you and I. You, got, you know what I'm talking about, right? Y'all staring at me like, you, like what, he's lost his mind. I thought that was pretty good, I'm just saying, but yeah. Listen, this is our approach to marriage is we say, just the two of us, the two of us, come on, we can, we can make it. The two of us, if we, we work hard, the two of us, if we can get on the same page, the two of us, if, you know, if she will do this and he'll do this. And in fact, sometimes the way we approach marriage, I don't know if you ever heard somebody use this, this phrase about their spouse, their significant other. They'll maybe say, um, yeah, she's my better half. You ever heard someone say that? He's the better half. She's my better half. I want to say I think that's the problem. The problem is our equation isn't lining up. It's not adding up. The problem is, is we got this approach, just the two of us, that, that maybe if, if I come halfway, I know we don't agree, I know we agree. If I come halfway, if you come halfway, we can meet in the middle, just the two of us, and, and, and one plus one equals two. And I would argue that that's not God's equation for marriage. And some of you know this. L let me read to you something that Jesus said. Um, he was actually quoting from the book of Genesis. In Matthew 19, 5, Jesus, these are his words. He said, and God said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and unite with his wife and the two will become how many? One. So wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. This is kind of backwards math, right? In our culture, one plus one equals two. Just the two of us, if we work at it, we come meet halfway in the middle, one half, another half, we make it. But God's equation was a little different. God's equation was one plus one equals one. Now that's bad math, but it's good theology, right? Like one plus one equals one. In other words, here's God's perspective on marriage. Two 
whole people give themselves to each other to make one new person. So marriage is more than just we share a bank account. We share a last name. It's not just one plus one equals two and we're together. and we're, But it's two that become one. Today, I want to just talk about what oneness looks like. And I believe that there is a way to develop a sense of oneness in your marriage that is outlined in the pages of Scripture. Now, you might be at church today, and you might say, you know, I'm not really a, a Christian. I don't know that I even believe in the Bible. I kind of feel like, you know, it's just a bunch of people who wrote some stuff down a long time ago. What's the big deal? And here's the thing. You don't have to believe in the Bible to understand what it says. And, and here's the thing. I have seen people apply what I'm going to share with you today, and I've seen it change their marriage. I've seen change. In fact, I want to share with you, if you got your Bible or if you have an electronic device, that works as well. And I want you to open up or turn it on to Philippians chapter 2. This is found in the New Testament. It's a small little letter that was written by a single guy. I want to share with you a message that's going to speak to those of us who are married from a single guy. And I know what some of you are thinking. The last thing I want is advice from a single guy if I'm married, right? But here's the thing. What Paul writes in this letter is really to everyone. He doesn't write to married people specifically, but he's talking about relationships. How do we make relationships work God's way? And here's the thing. I, I believe that if you would take and apply this, listen to me, married couples. If you would apply this to maybe the most important relationship of your life, your marriage, it could change your marriage. It could absolutely change it. Now, if you're single, you can apply it in your relationships as well. But in Philippians chapter 2, Paul gives us, I believe, a, just an incredible view of relationships. I have preached this passage numerous times at weddings. That's how much I think it applies to marriage. He said this, Philippians 2 verse 1, he said, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... And make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind or purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Verse 5, in your relationships, and I would say in your marriage with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What I want to do today is I want to give you some new marriage math. Okay? So if you like math, you're going to like this. I'm going to give us a new equation for marriage because I'm arguing that our equation today is not adding up. It's not working out. We say it's for life. It's not working out that way. And so I want to give you some new math. I've broken this down into different parts of an equation, equilateral parts of uh, equation. I don't know. I don't know math that well. I'm just making that crap up. But I think this stuff will help, all right? Here's the first part. This is what I want to say. If you're struggling, especially in your marriage, here's what I would encourage you. Get more of Christ. Get more of Christ in you. Get more. Now, I know, I know, I know. Some of you are thinking, um... This sounds so Christian cliche, right? I mean, this is what you expect a preacher to say. All you need is Jesus. If you just had more Jesus, it would fit. And I know you're thinking to yourself, come on, like, really? Like, how is that going to fix anything? I completely understand that. I really do. But I think there's something foundational in this passage that Paul, that Paul gives us 
Because if we could embrace and look at our relationships, look at our marriage, I'm telling you, I think it would change it. Paul said this, if there is any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any encouragement, I'm going to tell you this, it's from being united with Jesus. If there's any encouragement, I, I really believe that there are some people here today, someone came to Lancaster as well, someone came today and your marriage is struggling, you feel discouraged, and I wanted to come and tell you with, that there is a way to be encouraged. I want to bring encouragement to you today, and here's the thing, you might feel like, I think I married the wrong person. It's getting worse. It's not getting better. I don't know if we made the biggest mistake of our lives, and I don't think there's any hope. If you have no hope for your marriage, can I give you some encouragement today? Because I believe in a God that still does miracles. I believe in a God that can heal the brokenhearted. I believe in a God that can mend what is a mess in your marriage. I believe in a God that can raise Jesus from the grave, can resurrect your marriage from the dead. You see, that encouragement comes really from being united with Christ. There's something to that. And I know some of you are thinking, well, you don't understand, though. My marriage is a mess. And, you're, and here's what we think. When we, it's a mess, we think, I've got to fix this. I've got to fix it. We're fixers. We try to fix it. I've got to fix it. And I understand that. The problem is, is that we need to stop trying to fix what is broken by ourselves. And sometimes we might need divine intervention. Maybe you've tried a lot of different things. You think to yourself, if we could just have more, if we just had more time, I've heard that over and over. So many demands on our time, and we just can't connect and be together, we're drifting apart. If we had more time together, I think it would fix it. Or I've heard this, if we had more in common, I just, I never realized we don't have that much in common. If we had more in common, I think we'd be able to get along. Or if we had more money, we would stop fighting. If we had more, if we had more of this, let me tell you what I believe is the starting point, the foundation, the real answer. If you had more of Jesus in your life, it would begin to change your marriage. It would. I'm just telling you, it would begin to change. And I know some of you right now, you're sitting there and you're just so, you, you're, you know, you're thinking there ain't no way. And you're thinking, okay, so I just, I need more of Jesus. And you're thinking to yourself, how in the world is that going to fix my spouse? Huh? How is getting more Jesus and me going to fix my spouse? Because he's the problem and he's never around and he doesn't help. And she's always nagging and she's just like her mom. And she's this. And I get it. You're thinking, how is that going to fix my spouse? And I'm here to tell you, it won't, but it might fix you. No, no, you don't understand, Master. He's the problem. She's the problem. And that's the problem. The problem is that you think they're the problem. The problem is everybody else is the problem. And let me tell you what the answer is. The moment you realize that you're part of the problem, that's the moment when you can begin to be part of the change in your marriage. You said, okay, maybe, maybe there's, maybe I had a part in it. Well, here, here's the thing. It is so hard to change others, let alone yourself. But I'm going to tell you one of the things that I've seen change people the most in my life. It's when they, they get more of Jesus Christ and the relationship in their life. That will change them the most. I, I had a, uh, a friend at our Lancaster campus texted me today out of the blue. I wasn't expecting it. And he knew what I was preaching on. And I'd preached on, on, on part of this uh, several years ago. And he sent me this text this, this morning. It was very encouraging. And, and he said... Um, I just wanted to encourage you today. I know what you're preaching. And, and I'm telling you, what you're talking about today changed my life and it changed my marriage. 
I, I said, did? And he, and he shared like in detail how it changed his marriage. I said, do you mind if I share that with the church today? I, I wanted you to hear if I could just read a little bit of the text message that he sent me today. I wasn't even planning on this, but it was so powerful and it was so good. And it was, I was like, you're preaching my message for me. So I'm just gonna let him preach my message for me. Here's what he said. He texted me. He said, from where our marriage was a few short years ago to now is a huge difference. It began, let me say this again, it began with spending time with God in prayer and reading the Bible. See, we think it begins if we could spend more time and go out on another date. And, and he says, no, it began when I spent more time with God and in prayer and reading the Bible. He said, I can't change her. He said, in fact, there are parts of myself I can't change. But God began to change me. And then he changed her too. And here's what he said. He said, we began praying out loud with each other. And it was awkward at first. How many have ever done that? It's awkward, isn't it? Come on. Uh, it's easier to pray with your small group. It's easier to pray with, with strangers sometimes than it is to pray with your spouse. But he said, we began to pray out loud with each other. And it was awkward at first, but we pushed through it. And now, he said, it's a completely different kind of intimacy. God tore down so many barriers, walls, and hurt. There was forgiveness and a new communication established. It was like we could hear each other for the first time. What, what, what changed? He said it began the moment he connected with Christ. The moment he began to make time. We think, I, to fix this, I need more time with my spouse. I would argue maybe what you need is more time with Jesus. And here's why I say that. Because just because you come to church doesn't mean that you have a real personal connection with him. I, I bet that there are many will come to church today that for some of you, this is the only measure of faith that you really have. That you don't really talk to God any other time outside of church. In fact, it's like the pastor prays. That's when you pray. When the pastor shares a message from the Bible, that's when you get the Bible, when you understand and connect with Jesus and his words. Can, can I tell you something? The first place, if you want to change your relationships, if you want to change your marriage, get more of Christ in you. Get more of Christ. Be like John the Baptist. John the Baptist said this about Jesus. He must become greater and I must become less. I need less of me, more of him in my life. Now listen, if you do that, and you're a husband, if you do that, and you're a wife, and more of him, less of me, you, you might be thinking, well, I don't know if my spouse will like it. I don't know, because you got to remember, like, she fell in love with me. And I would say, well, yeah, she was probably desperate, okay? Let's just be honest, right? She fell in love with me. I get all that. But listen, if, if you're just going on the fact that she fell in love with me, the problem is a lot of times then she will later fall out of love with you. But here's what I've discovered. If you begin to look more like Christ, his words, his love, his sacrifice, if you, and listen, wise, you begin to look more like Christ in your life, it is incredibly attractive to your spouse who's a Christ follower. There is nothing more sexy to a Christian woman than a man who loves Jesus, than a man who worships Jesus, than a man who will raise his hands, a man who will lead in prayer, a man who will lead when it comes to that. There is nothing sexier. Get more of Christ in you. If, if we would do that, what happens is then he can change you. And then he can change them. And that can change your marriage. And so Paul, when he's writing this, 
and he knows probably there's discouraged people in relationships, he says, therefore, if the, any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, and any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose or mind. Can I, let me give you another part of this marriage equation. Let me give you another part. We need to learn to be equal as one. To be equal as one. Paul makes this big reference to oneness here. I don't know if you notice that. He says, be like-minded, have the same love, be one in spirit and purpose. Like-minded. Do you know how hard that is in marriage? It's so hard to get on the same page, is it not? It's hard. Because we know why it's hard. Because we're so different. In fact, here's what I've discovered, and it seems to ring true in most marriages. Maybe it's a little different yours, but most I've run into, and that is that opposites really do attract. It's true, isn't it? Like opposites, my wife and I, like opposites do attract. But here's the problem with that. When you date, it, it could be fun and exciting. Then you get married, and those op opposites that attracted to dating tend to repel you in marriage. That's what happens. And you say, how in the world are we supposed to be one when we are so different? How in the world am I supposed to be one with my spouse when all she hears is Yanny? Like, you don't... Did I, that go over your head? Did you miss that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Come on, how many of you who love Jesus heard Laurel? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Come on, like Lancaster, raise your hand. Yes, rest. Listen, we'll pray for the rest of you, but I discovered something. As, as you see, this has created debates. This has created fights, right? Because we're hearing the same thing, but we're getting something different. Oh, hello. I think that works in marriage. I feel like I just went into a communication seminar. I feel like I just opened the door to something right there. How is it that we just can't seem to get on the same page because sometimes one person's saying one thing and the other person is hearing something completely different? Like, like Paul says, be like-minded. Have the same love. Be one in spirit. I know, but we're so incredibly different. Listen, here's what I've seen with my marriage. My wife and I, we are vastly different people personalities different things we like are different for example my wife okay here's what's different my wife is a serious introvert all right i don't know if any introvert serious introvert i'm a crazy extrovert right which serves me well when i get up on the stage right uh, like my wife my wife is quiet i'm loud i don't even need a microphone i just hold it for fun okay my like my wife will tell me at times we're in the car she's like why are you so loud I'm just loud She's loud. She's quiet, you know. My wife likes to read books. I like to watch sports. My wife will eat anything. I'm a picky eater. I'm just saying, you notice the differences that we have in marriage that often kind of pull us apart. And Paul's like, no, you need to be like-minded. What is he talking about? He's talking about oneness. He's talking about oneness. And you might be looking at your, your situation going, how, how can be, we be one when we're so different as people? It's because you may not understand what oneness is. Oneness isn't becoming the same person. Oneness isn't having similar personalities. Oneness isn't liking the same things. All of a sudden, I got to like sports because he likes sports. Oneness is not. Here's what oneness is. Oneness, it means both of you are pulling in the same direction. That's what oneness is. Oneness means you're both in the same boat and you're both rowing in the same direction. You can be very different and both be pulling in the same direction. You realize that. 
You see, when it comes to the things that matter the most, listen, in your marriage, in your relationship, do you have a oneness? Do you share a common vision? Do you even have a picture for your marriage and what it's supposed to be? Are you just trying to make it? Like like when it comes to things like your finances. I I saw that there are a lot of people today um, that said one of the number one things they tend to fight about is their finances. Well, if we just had more money, we, we wouldn't have to fight as much and things would be good. No, that's not the answer. Here, here's what I've discovered. You can make a lot and still fight over it. You can make a little and not fight over it. The difference is, do you have oneness when it comes to how you're going to use your finances, whether it's a lot or a little? It doesn't matter. You might have a little, but if you guys are in agreement about how you're going to spend it, about how you're going to save it, about how you're going to give it, then it changes everything. It's not about more money is the answer. It's having the same vision. It's having the same direction. Listen, I'm going to say this kind of boldly about finances. And I, I said this to somebody else at the church that, you know, told me that they, that him and his wife have separate accounts. And I said, I would never do that. We do premarital counseling. And somebody says, I've had people come to me and they go, well, we're going to keep separate accounts, keep finances separate. I always look at them and say, that's a bad idea. And you might be doing that. And I don't care. I'll say it. It is a bad idea because that is not oneness. Well, he keeps his money, he makes some money, and we share for the bills. Yeah, that's all well and great until all of a sudden one of them gets a big promotion. And then we don't have oneness anymore. She has more money than him. He has more than that. That's not oneness. That's two people. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. That's not oneness. Oneness is we're together and how we're going to operate with the finances God has entrusted to us. How about raising children? Do you have oneness when it comes to parenting? Because that will be the quickest thing that can drive two people apart. Do you see the same way? Listen, you, you don't all have to be the same in the way you approach your kids, but you should have the same mindset when it comes to how you're going to raise them, what you're going to put them in, when it comes to discipline, how you're going to approach it. Because listen to me, moms and dads, your kids are way smarter than you think they are, and they know which one to go to. They know when I need this, I go to mom. When I want this, I go to dad. They will play you like a fiddle. They know what to do to get what they want. And you know what? You need to be one in those situations. Uh Uh-uh, what'd your dad say? That's what I'm saying. You know what I mean? I'm just saying oneness. This is where a lot of fights come. Like-minded, same love, one in spirit. Let me tell you a way that my wife and I um, were like-minded from the very beginning of our marriage. We've been married a long time, 22 years. I got it right, finally. Um, we were, we were like-minded in this approach. Um, we both agreed from the very beginning that divorce is not an option. It wasn't on the table. It's not an option. I don't care how hard it gets. We got to work through it. I don't care how challenging it gets. We got to work through it. Divorce is not an option. And for some of you who've been around church and maybe your parents, this has been a great situation. You're like, well, yeah, but if, if we could be honest, there's probably a lot of you that came from divorced homes. Maybe you've seen divorce a lot in your family. Someone remarried and then dad remarried, new mom and all this good stuff. And maybe what your perspective has been is that it is an option. Listen, my wife and I, this is how we were like-minded. It is not an option. We are in this for life, committed to each other. It gets hard, we're going to work at it. We're not, it's not an option. 
You see, this is why so many marriages to me don't make it is because of this oneness issue. They don't ha- they're not like-minded. They don't share the same, the same values when it comes to life, but in your money, your time, your kids, and oh, by the way, maybe the most important, your faith. It actually matters way more than you think it does. When you're dating, it's like, you know, yeah, you know, you know, he grew up and he likes to go to church and I, I just don't really do that thing that much. Or, you know, she doesn't like to come with me, and it's, but, but she respects what I believe. I've heard all that before. Listen, that is, that is I'm telling you, you, you want man's equation for marriage? I read to you some of the numbers of where it, where it goes. Those numbers drop regardless of what studies you see because I've read this. Those numbers drop significantly when both people are, are passionately pursuing Jesus Christ, the divorce numbers. Here's why. Because you get on the same page. And I'm going to say this. If you're single and you're dating, listen to me. It matters who you date. It matters. It matters. It matters. It matters. I cannot say this enough. That if you are a Christ follower, you should only be dating another Christ follower because your faith matters. If you do not have unity in this area, you do not have unity at all. It is that big. Well, it's okay. I just respect it. You respect it. No, it does not work. And listen, the reason why, and I know it sounds so old school, and it's like, I know the Bible talks about not being yoked together, and that just sounds, listen, the reason why God says that is to save you a life of heartache and pain. If you had my perspective as a pastor and what I have sat in rooms with to deal with, you would understand why God is so passionate, why it matters that you have unity when it comes to faith. It matters. It just does. So listen, you got to, there's a oneness. You don't have to become the same person. But you got to have a similar vision for your marriage, similar vision for raising kids, similar vision for your finances, similar vision for your faith. It really does matter. And here's the third part of the equation, and this might be one of the most significant parts of it, and that is this. Focus less on yourself. Focus less on yourself. If I could just say, um, this seems obvious, but it is really hard to do. It really is. But I believe a healthy marriage is built on this understanding. Focus less on yourself. Here's how Paul said in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others how? Everybody say it with me. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do you know why I think this is so hard? This is my take on it. It's because when you're single, before you get married, you will spend perhaps the first 20, 30, or more years of your life focused on you. It's about you. When you're single, life's about you, isn't it? And that's cool. We talked about it last week. It has its advantages. It's about you. More money for you. You get to think about where you want to live. You can think about what you want to drive. You can think about, you know, what kind of career you want. You get to think about you, and it is cool. It's amazing. Embrace the single season, I'm just telling you. But listen, we, we, we come for 20 or 30 years thinking about me, 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 and then we go walk into a wedding chapel one day. We go up to the altar, and we say, for rich or poor, sickness and health or life, I do. And then all of a sudden, we're supposed to flip a switch. 30 years, it's about me, and all of a sudden, it's got to be about you. That's really hard to do. 
Very hard to do. In fact, the reason why I think there's so much strife often early in marriages is because of this. It's because I got expectations, and I think about what it is that I go into marriage with you making me happy. It kind of reminded me of what I think is supposed to happen my wedding day. So my wedding day, I remember, like, like this part, like it was yesterday, that we had rented this, like, beautiful, traditional, like, kind of church building. It's kind of actually in the hood in Columbus, but it was a beautiful building, all right? And it was the only thing we could find that would meet our needs in the size wedding that we had. And so we rented this place with the plans that we would go on Friday, and we would set up. And we did all the decorations ourselves. I mean, we, we did it on the cheap. And, oh, by the way, it was still an awesome day. I, you, again, this is on sidebar. I, have, I just don't understand why in the world people will basically mortgage a wedding. Put, put your money and your time into your marriage, not into your wedding. That's just a little piece. You can take it for what it's worth, whatever. But, you know, we, we were doing it and decorating ourselves. And so we're getting all planned, ready to go in. And I get a call from the minister that week. It was like Wednesday. Hey, we got a problem. Uh, one of the members of our church passed away, and they're requesting a funeral on Saturday in the church. And I'm thinking, this is a problem. This is a real problem, right? And, and, I'm, and it's like, we've already reserved it. We've already put money down. I mean, we told well, hundreds and hundreds of people are coming to this place. I'm like, we got, I'm thinking to myself, come on, this person's dead. They can wait a little longer. Like, what? Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Gosh, you guys are tight today. I'm tight. Loosen up. Jeez. Anyway, so, uh, so, so I'm thinking we got to get in there. We got to decorate. We worked it out. So the funeral was in the morning and the wedding was in the afternoon. We had a window of a few hours to finish decorating. They let us put a little bit up, you know, but they didn't want it too nice. You know, then, I th then, then I'm kind of thinking, because I've been to a lot of funerals, and I'm thinking, I don't know they look a whole lot different than weddings. You know what I mean? Flowers everywhere. It looks the same, basically. So we did a little bit of the decorating, and then, you know, all of a sudden, I'm getting there early Saturday, right? I get there early Saturday. I happen to show up while the funeral is going on. And I go walking up, and I see the doors are closed, and I got these windows, and I'm looking into the, you know, and this is this, the wedding, and we pictured how it's going to look, and there's the altar up front, and right where my, my, my bride is going to be, and I'm going to be, in just a couple hours is a casket with a dead person, right there. I had people afterwards when I told them this, they said, didn't you think that was a sign? I was like, I don't know, I just, well, we just needed a building, right? And, um. You know, I, I've, I've thought about this because that's a little weird to think about, you know. It kind of freaked me out a little bit. Then, then, then this thought kind of dawned on me afterwards, and I thought, actually, maybe that's what every wedding should look like. In other words, two people walk into the wedding chapel, but only one walks out. Do, do you want to know what really, I think, is, is a recipe for a marriage that works? It's when you come to the realization, and this is so hard because 20 years, 30 years, it's been about you. When you come to the realization, it's not about me anymore. That I have to die to myself in order to serve them. Now listen, this is a huge flip from what we believe about dating in our culture today. The reason why we date is because we want somebody to make us happy. The reason why we date is because we feel a little something's missing. 
The reason why we look for the one, the reason why we date is because I just, I want to be fulfilled. I want to be happy. And so we're trying, recognize this in dating. We're trying to find someone to make us happy. This is why, and I say this all the time, single ladies, please listen to me. If you ever are dating someone who gets down on one knee and you get all excited and your heart starts to beep, beat real hard and he pulls out a box and then he looks up at you and he says something like this, will you make me the happiest man in the world you take that box and throw it in his face and you run away as fast as you can because any guy that thinks will you make me the happiest man in the world it sounds so romantic but just wait until you're married in other words when we have an expectation that they are here to make me happy this is a flawed way to go into a marriage if you're looking for someone to make you happy, might I recommend just date, don't get married. Because I have asked people before that want premarital counseling and I've said you know, to them, looked across the table and said, why are you marrying this person? Well, she makes me so happy. He just, oh, he just fills me, he completes me. You know, like, I usually, been married for a while so you know what I mean it's like really I'm watching Jerry Maguire come on like listen if your approach is he makes me happy she makes me happy that's why I want to get married this might be the number one reason why people get married by the way can I tell you this it's also the number one reason why people get divorced because he doesn't make me happy anymore she doesn't make me happy anymore how how do we do this? How do, how, do we, how do we do this? Because we spend so much of our lives thinking about others, thinking about ourselves, sorry, and then we're going to somehow get married, and it's addition through subtraction. Here's what it is. You say, how, how do I have a love like this? It's addition through subtraction. What it basically means is this. The moment you get more of Christ in your life and more of his love, and when you begin to understand that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life, the moment you begin to get a grasp of that kind of love and you start focusing less on yourself and you get more of Christ in you, it begins to change you and then you become like-minded with your spouse when it happens to them and it happens to you. It is one of the most beautiful things you could ever imagine I believe that this was God's equation for marriage in the first place get more of Christ less of yourself like John the Baptist I need that he becomes greater and I become less when this begins to happen in your marriage when you begin to love like Jesus it becomes more than just make me happy but now I am gonna sacrifice and I'm gonna serve and it's an unconditional love and even in the hard times it's a love where you say I am by your side and there is no other option and we're gonna work through this and we're gonna get there with the help of Jesus trying to fix it on my own I'm telling you there's something powerful that happens when you invite Jesus Christ into your life into your marriage that the world will never talk about but I'm telling you it has the power to change your marriage my prayer for some of you that are in that place where you're struggling you're hurting my prayer is that if you would just open your heart to Jesus if you would embrace these principles and begin to put them into practice I truly believe that God could save your marriage amen Come on, would you bow your heads and pray with me here in Lancaster? God, I just thank you for your presence in this place. 
And I pray right now that by your spirit, you're ministering to those who are hurting. I just believe that there are marriages right now, maybe in crisis in our church. You're thinking about leaving. You're thinking about running off. You're thinking you've tried everything and it doesn't work. Can I ask you, would you try Jesus? Would you try surrendering your life to him? I'm not saying that, that I'm not saying like, would you try just believing in a God? I'm saying, would you try inviting more of Christ into your life? Connect with him. Allow him to change you. Allow him to change your spouse. I know it's, it's easier said than done. God, I pray for grace right now for marriages in our church. I believe that if the marriage is strong, the family can be strong. If the family is strong, then the communities can be strong. If the community is strong, then the cities and the states and the nation can be strong. It all comes back to the marriage. God, we thank you for giving us a new perspective that's not like man's equation. That one plus one in your eyes equals one. Help us to understand oneness from your heart, God. Listen, as we're praying here today, I wonder if there are some of you, whether you're married or not, that maybe you came today. And the truth is you have spent much of your life focusing on yourself. You have spent the majority of your time, whether you're married, you're single, divorced, widowed, it's focusing on yourself and not any more of Christ. I, I want to give you an opportunity today. Maybe you recognize I need God. I need a connection with Him. That is found in Jesus and Him alone. It is found by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, who came as the sinless Son of God, who lived a sinless life, who died on a cross for your sins and mine, and God raised Him to, uh, to life on the third day. Listen, when you understand that He is alive and that He is here and that He wants to meet you and He wants to forgive you and He wants to give you His grace and you embrace Him and you reach out to Him, something changes inside of you. Some of you, maybe this is the reason why you're here today. And if that's you today and you came and say, I need God. Maybe you've walked away from him. Today you're coming home to him. I want to give you an opportunity to embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you pray this prayer with me? You say, Heavenly Father, I come to you today broken, a sinner, someone who has focused on me. Today I'll receive Jesus, your son, as my Savior. And I believe he died for me and rose again. To give me new life. Today I receive that life. With the faith that I have, I don't, I don't know everything, but what I do know in this moment is that I need to begin a relationship with you. I need to be back with you. And so I give my life to you and I surrender it all to you. From this day forward, just like in a wedding vow, I do. I pray all these things in the wonderful name. The name that is above every name. The name of Jesus. And everyone declared... Amen. Come on, let's praise God for his word today.